because they're living differently than people who who are not yet who have not yet found uh, success. And so there's some ingredients that have to be in our lives if we're gonna gonna reach success and really in any area of our life. It doesn't matter what area, whether it's in your family, your marriage, your, with your kids, your parenting, your career, your health. There's there's just some laws that that really help. It's kind of like this. I use the cake analogy. If you want to make a cake, there are certain ingredients that have to go into a cake. Right, come on, I have any bakers here? Come on now. What do, what do bakers like? They like sugar. They like flour. We got to have some butter, right? Got to have some butter. I mean, there's just some essential ingredients to make a cake. Now, probably just like you, I have some friends um, that are like off the chart on the healthy meter. And they post all these things about how they made a cake with no butter, with no sugar. And, hey, you know, say no more. I don't want any, you know. If, if I want a diet cake, I'll get a diet cake. I don't want a diet cake, you know. I don't want to eat cake every day. But if I want to eat a cake, like I want it to be a good piece. Come on now. A big piece of cake with some ice cream. Bluebell. Bluebell on that, right. Come on now. We gotta, so if you're going to do it, you got to do it right, you know. Well, it's just like this. If, if you, you know, it sounds simple, but it is. People who are successful in their lives, and it really doesn't matter if you feel successful or not, if you failed in a bunch of different areas, all we have to do is figure out what are the ingredients needed for me to overcome some of the things I've, I've done. That's the great thing about being a Christian and serving a God. We serve a God who's the God of second, third, and fourth chances. He, you know, he's not concerned with your mess-ups, but he wants you to make it different in the future. So if we're, think about this. If you're not happy with where you are in any area of your life, we have to change what we do to get different results. So this is what this series is about. So week number one, these are all on our website, you can go listen to them, but week number one was the law of vision. And the law of vision says this, that you have to know where you're going if you're ever going to reach it. You have to have a target, you have to have a goal. You know, I hear people talk about, well, we just want to have a great marriage. Well, and I ask, well, what's a great marriage? Well, Write out a definition. This is what a great marriage is and this is what I want. What kind of kids do you want to raise? Write out the principles and values and shoot for it. Where do you want to go in your career? Have a vision. Have something where you wake up every day and you have passion to go, to go do that, to accomplish it. So successful people, they know where they want to go and they're making the sacrifice to get there. That's the law of vision. I, I encourage you, go home and write a vision for every area of your life. I, I asked the next week and like three people did it. So I was very energized, enthused about that, you know. But put it on your mirror. Put it in your car on your dashboard. If, you know, if you want to go somewhere, write out a map of how you're going to do it. And then last week we talked about the law of the mind. And the law of the mind says this, that, that people who have become successful, they think differently from people who maybe aren't as successful as they would like to be. In other words, all of us have defeats, failures, obstacles. Every one of us have difficult things happen to us. All of us have been cheated on. All of us have been let down by people. It's just, it's just the way it is. But successful people, they find a way to think differently about the situation they find themselves in. They, they, they find a way, okay, this didn't work. Let me try something else. You know, this person let me down. It doesn't mean that every other person on the planet is going to let me down. You know, this didn't work. Maybe I should try giving it to God. And they think differently. And how we think 
determines where we're going to be. So right now, if you're thinking critical and negative and the, the sky is falling, you know, that, that's what you're going you're gonna to get. But if we can think optimistically, if we can think in terms of faith, man, I have a big God. He can do anything. He created the heavens, the earth. He created me. He can move anything, anything in, my, in my life. So the law of vision and the law of, of, of the mind, two very important things. And today we're going we're gonna to start with the third one, which is the law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping. It's, it's, it's a, really a foundational principle in the Christian life. And let me read some scripture. Galatians 6, 7 through 9, it says this. This is really the, the main text on sowing and reaping. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Uh, so a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh reap destruction. So let me, let me prove that to you right now. How many of you are married this morning? Have you ever gotten angry at your spouse? Have you ever said something mean to your spouse? That means you sowed in the, in the flesh and you, you reap something, right? Like sleeping on the couch, sleeping out in the back with a dog, right? I mean, you, you, you sowed to the flesh and you paid the piper, right? Okay, so whoever sows to the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction or problems or issues. But whoever sows to please the Spirit, the Spirit of God, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So there's four principles uh, that go with sowing and reaping, and let me give those to you. First of all, we, we are free to choose what we sow. Would you say that when you say it? When you say, say, except instead of we, say I. I am free to choose what I sow. We, we have free will. We can do anything we want, okay? But if you do anything that you, that you want, there may be an issue later on, okay? So I am free. We are free to, to, to sow. To, we are free to choose what we sow, but we are not free to choose what we reap. Okay? So you can sow anything you want, but what you sow, that's what you're going to reap. So you get to choose what you're going to sow, but you don't get to choose, you, don't re, you can't choose what you receive. You receive, you, you reap whatever it is you've sown. Um, we, we reap later than we sow. So, you know, the, notice this verse says, it says, don't, don't get weary. Don't become weary in doing good. You're planting good seed. You're sowing good things. Don't get weary because at the proper time, you will receive a harvest. So when, when sowing and reaping, when, when we reap, when we sow, when we plant, when we invest, Sometimes we don't receive the harvest like that minute. I mean, you don't go to your boss and say, hey, I had a good day. How about a raise? Some of you do that, right? But you know that if you keep doing a good job, you're going to be rewarded, right? I mean, that, that's, the way, that's the way it works. So uh, we reap later than we sow. And here's the last principle is that we always reap more than we sow. So here's the thought. When we're sowing good seed, I mean, we're, when we're doing good things, what happens is God takes that and he causes it to begin to grow and develop. And, and when it begins to, to sprout, it's like a fruit tree. You plant one fruit tree, but you may get 200 plums in one season once, once it's, it's got to a place of maturity. So those are four things that you can take to the bank. Now, let me read one more scripture, then we'll talk about this. It's going to be a very practical message this morning. Luke 6, 38, it says this, Give and it will be given to you. 
a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, many times I hear preachers, and the only time they read Luke 6, 38 is when they want to take up an offering. I'm not taking up an offering. But this scripture applies to every area of our life. Basically, whatever you give, it's going to be given to you. And the measure you use, let's just say the percentage that you use, that same percentage is going to be multiplied back to you. Now, at this point in time when the scripture was written, of course, this is Jesus. The world, the ancient world, was, was farming, agriculture. It was the most common way people earned a living. And, and in Israel, everyone owned land. If you go and read the story of the Israelites, when they went to the promised land and when they came to Israel, every family and every, every tribe and every family, every, every family unit in that tribe got a piece of land. And not only that, if someone ever lost their family land due to indebtedness or some problem, uh, in the year of Jubilee, every 50th year, all land returned to the rightful family. So every family had, la had land, and, and, and maybe they raised sheep or goats or whatever, but every family had to plant food for themselves. And so this analogy, it's an agricultural analogy, and Jesus used this farming analogy to, to demonstrate the law of sowing, sowing and reaping. And basically it's very simple. He says this, whatever you sow or whatever you plant or whatever you give or whatever actions you do, that same action or principle, that's what you're going to receive in the harvest. That's what you're going to reap. It's what you're going to receive. And this passage even, it, it, this passage is for everyone here today because Everyone here today, you may be ha struggling with different areas, but it, it doesn't say give money and you will receive money. No, it says give and it will be given to you. What is the it? Whatever you give. So I tell, I tell people all the time, if you don't like an area of your life, plant, sow some different seeds in that area. It's so funny, um, like I, this is just me. I didn't take debate class. I don't like to argue with people. I, I just, you know, it is what it is. And I had, a, had a, a man come one time after one of my sermons years ago. And he wanted to argue with me. And I was like, look, I don't want to argue. I taught what I believe is biblically based. I mean, it's, if it's not biblically based, show me. And so he, he, he was just going, you know, it, maybe it was about tithing or I can't remember what it was about. But it was about something that had to do with sowing and reaping. And, and he was arguing that what I said wasn't true. And so I asked him a question. I said, have you ever tried it? He said, no. I said, then you're not in a position to argue whether it works or not. Isn't that true? If we have never tried something, how can we know that it doesn't work? And so what I'm telling you is if you don't like the results in an area of your life, change what you're planning. Change what you're sowing. Change what you're doing, and you'll get, you'll get a different result. So many times we, be, we play the victim game. Listen, God will bless anyone who's doing, who's following his word. Don't play the victim. We're not, we're not dependent upon the government. We're not dependent upon the world economy. We have a God. We're in his economy. We're in his system. And, and he, he, he has more than anyone else. And so he can bless whomever he wishes to bless. So the, the principle goes like this. Let's see if you can follow along with me. If you give faithfulness in return, you will receive. 
It wasn't a trick question. Faithfulness. Okay, let's try this again. If you give loyalty, in return you will receive. Y'all are sharp. If you, if you give friendship, you will receive. Now, this is an amazing thing because, you know, one of the, one of the things I get about family and life when people come is they say, man, this is, everyone's so friendly. Because sometimes people will be here for a year or two and they say, I don't have any friends. And I say, well, that's funny. You told me a year ago it's the friendliest place. Yeah, but I don't have any friends. And so I ask them, I'm like, well, what have you done to make friends? Well, I come, you know, one Sunday a month. Okay. But, but no, we have small groups. Have you ever joined a small group? No. We have Bible studies. Have you ever joined a Bible study? No. And I said, well, if you want to meet people in the church, then you really have to spend time with people. And they said, but I may not like, I may not like some of them. But you may like a few. Right? I mean, come on. The, 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 the law of diminishing returns there. And so if you, and it goes deep every every life. If you speak positively of other people, people will speak. It's true. Do you know some people that they're just the nicest people in the world? Do you wish you were them and no one can say a bad word about them? I'm really trying to get there. I am trying to get there, right? I'm so in positivity. Let's talk, if you treat your spouse with love, respect, and dignity, you will receive love, respect, and dignity. It, it's, it's the law, it, 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 it always works, right? And uh, if you're generous and give to people, people will be generous to you. So the law of sowing and reaping, it emphatically states that you don't reap what you want to reap, you reap exactly what you have sown. So let me give you a couple, a couple examples in my, in my life. You know, what I have found in my life is, in uh, both positively and negatively, but sometimes you're just going through life and something good happens. You're like, well, how did that happen? And then you look back and say, wow, I was sowing good seed. You know, other times I'm going through and something negative happens. I'm like, wow. And I go back here and I'm sowing negative seed. So when I first started in the ministry, I moved to Lafayette, Louisiana. And I worked for Family Life Lafayette. I was youth pastor for a little over four years. And my pastor at the time, he's a few months ago, he went to be with Heaven, uh, Francis Martin. So he, he hired me, and, and uh, you know, it was my first job out of college. I was, I was so excited. And so, um, man, I worked as hard as I could to, to help him. And I, I would go to and ask him, it's like, hey, Brother Francis, what do I need to do to help you? What do I need to do to make you successful? And whatever he told me to do, I just did. And so uh, as far, to, to the best of my knowledge, I was 100% loyal, I was 100% faithful, and I, I, I defended him to a fault. I would fall on the sword for him. I mean, I, I loved him as a, as a person, as a, as a father figure and all that, just, just a tremendous person. So I started talking to him after I'd been there a few years and maybe been there about three and a half years, and I say, you know, Brother Francis, I, I, don't, I don't know, I feel like I'm supposed to be a pastor one day, I don't, I don't know what that means, but... He, and he, he told me, he's like, don't go take over someone else's church. Go start your own church. And he said, don't take over someone else's problems. Well, he didn't tell me that planting churches had problems too. But <laughs> anyway, anyway, he left that one on the down low, you know. And so I said, okay. So I started praying about that. And I felt like God wanted us to come here to start this church. Now, you know, we were moving here. We knew two people in the area. We didn't have any money. We didn't have any buildings. We didn't have any people. 
And so I say, Brother Francis, I, you know, I feel like I am supposed to uh, do this, and and I want your blessing. I would like to have your blessing. He's like, well, he's like, well, absolutely. And um, and then he, it was immediate. He said this. He said, Hey, Terry, uh, you don't have any people. You don't have any money. What? How are you going to support your family while you're doing that? I'm like, Well, I'll just, you know, I'll just get a job. You know, just get a job and work or whatever. And he said, You know what? family life we're going to pay your salary and so he paid they paid my salary for two and a half years for two and a half years because we did i mean we didn't have any people we didn't have any money and all that which really allowed me to to work as hard as i could doing that and um and just an incredible man his generosity i was so proud when i called him one day and say brother francis um I don't need you to, to pay my salary more. The church is finally up to where, you know, they can, you know, pay me enough so we can live and all this. And he's like, oh, I don't mind. Um, he said, why don't you just, I'm going to keep sending you the money you the money, and use it to save up for land. What an incredible person, huh? What a generosity. And, um, but, but let me say this. If I had done a mediocre job, if I had caused him problems, if I hadn't been a blessing to him, would he have offered that? And I'm going to say no because the reason why the youth pastor that took over after me uh, was there for four years, just like I was, and he decided to leave, and he thought that Brother Francis was going to do the same thing for him. He didn't. Well, the youth group that he inherited from me, it was half the size when he got there, Brother Francis always having to deal with problems with this youth pastor, and so it, it, it wasn't there. So the law, the law of the law of sowing and reaping. Let me give you one more illustration. And so I, I'm just I'm trying. Whenever I speak, I'm never trying to manipulate you, but I'm trying to instill faith in you that when you trust God in areas, and when you plant good seed, it's impossible for you not to receive a harvest. I hope you believe that. So many times we look. When you start to sow, you can't look at the natural. If you look at the natural, you'll never reach out in faith where God wants you to. So about five years ago, if you see the little building over here, that was our building for about eight years. Um, and we, we, we moved in there. We had about 70 people, and we, we filled that building up. We went to two services, and we, we just got to where we couldn't grow anymore. And so we decided, man, we need to build, you know, a bigger building, this building. And so we started looking at that, and, you know, we realized that, man, you know, we've got to, raise some money, and so I talked with the elders and all that, and, and so we, d we decided just to do an 18-month um, capital campaign deal, and I told the congregation, hey, just pray if God wants you to give something to that. If you don't want to give, you don't have to give a penny. No one will ever say anything to you. Um, I mean, I just, I hate when people put pressure on you trying to get you to do something. Do you? I, hate, I hate manipulation, right? So you just pray. Well, Tracy and I both prayed. And we really felt that God wanted us to give $25,000. Now, we didn't have $25,000. We're, we're not rich like some of you, you know. <laughs> and, but, but it's like, man, we both felt really strongly about that. And, and the, so we had two kids starting college. And I'm like, well, gosh, how's that going to work? But you know what? We, I, I didn't know how it was going to work, but we pledged $25,000. We had 18 months. I'm like, hey, God can do anything in 18 months. Do you know that about six weeks later, my kids received a military scholarship that paid $55,000 for college? 
two of my kids went and, 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 and literally, literally, we paid $45 a month for the administrative fee. So what, what, what I'm saying, like, I want you to have stories like that. You know, and every year I have new stories because we keep trusting God and we keep sowing. And we, you know, when you, when you continually sow, you continue to reap. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, this is from somebody, you know, who doesn't make a lot of money. I'm not rich. I don't have rich family. But Tracy and I have decided that we're going we're gonna to sow good seed. And when you sow good seed, God always multiplies that in your life. So any story I tell, you can tell bigger stories. Because the same God will, will use you. It's the law of, of, of sowing and reaping. So I want to get real practical this morning and, uh, and really talk about how does sowing and reaping work every day in your life. And as a pastor, all, all of the people I meet with, there's three categories that take up 80% of all my conversation, 80% of all my counseling situations, 80% of all my time. And there's three areas. People always have questions or trouble or struggles with their career, with their relationships, which, hey, relationships can be muddy water. There's a lot of those, right? Relationships or in their finances, those three things. So I want to get real practical, and I'm, I just want to show you how you can change what you're sowing in these areas and some things you can do that it, I'm, I'm confident if you will consistently do these, I believe that God will come through and, and change your situation. So let's talk about sowing and reaping in, in our careers, in our, in our work. Colossians 3, verse 23 through 24, it says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So let me, let me start by asking you this. Would our effort at our jobs change? if we realize that we're not working for a person, but we're working for the Lord. I mean, would you consistently show up late if Jesus was there? Would you spend 30 hours a week surfing the internet or reading the newspaper or taking extra lunch or breaks or leaving early if you were working for Jesus? And so he says, I want you to realize, yeah, you're going to a job. You're going to a job, and that's the way I provide for your family. But your job is not really your employer. I am. You're supposed to go there, and you're supposed to demonstrate me. You're supposed to represent me in the marketplace, which is why I say Christians ought to be the best employees that any employer ever has. Three of you agree. I saw three people. I saw you shake your other three. I don't know about that. But, but our careers are the avenue that God uses to provide for our families, but we represent God in the marketplace. So... Here, here's, here's the main point. I'm going to introduce another law to you today. It's just, it's, 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 a, it's a minor law, but I'm going to show it to, I'm going to show it to you. Is this, is that people that are successful in their careers, they understand the law of value. And they're sowing value into their companies, into their organizations. And when you consistently sow value in your career, one day you're, you're, what you reap is increases in pay promotions and, and rewards. So let me ask you a question. Let's talk about the law of value for a minute. Who gets paid more, a general surgeon or a neurosurgeon? The neurosurgeon, okay? Why does the neurosurgeon get paid more? Because they have specialized knowledge. They, they have a higher value because there's fewer of them 
and they, you know, the brain is very complicated. And so a, a, a neurosurgeon, whether it's, it's you know, a, a male or a female, they, they have taken years of extra work, and they can do things that other people can't do. So their compensation for what they do is not even close to, to what a general surgeon would do. So now let me ask you another question. Does it matter if the neurosurgeon uh, is, is male or female? Does it matter if they're white, black, Hispanic, Asian, or a combination therein? Does it matter what neighborhood they were born in? Does it matter whether their parents are good people or not? It does not. They have, they have a certain level of value. So here's the point. It doesn't, it doesn't matter where we are, where we've come from, our careers, we, we, will, we will get paid, we will be compensated, we will be rewarded, we will be promoted on the basis of the value we give to our company. And that's just the bottom line. I have people talk to all the time, they're like, well, I've been working there 13 years, this other guy's got three promotions and I haven't got one. So what they're, what they're telling me, and I'm not trying to be ugly, is the person that's getting promoted, now there are situations where it's a family member or something like that, I understand that. But in 90% of the situations, they are giving more value than the people who aren't getting promoted. So in our careers, we have to figure out, how can I be more valuable to my company? What can I do? What specialized knowledge? What training? What, what can I do to become more valuable? The more valuable we are, the better uh, that, our, that our careers would go. So here, here's the rule to live by. You will always be paid and promoted in direct proportion to what you do, how well you do it, and the difficulty of replacing you. Your value determines your compensation and promotion in the marketplace. Now, we have some people here that maybe are bosses or business owners, and if someone comes to you and they really, they really haven't been that good of an employee and they tell you they're leaving, you, you, what do you say? You say, okay, let me help you wash your car, right? Can I help you carry your bags? I've been waiting for this day. But if someone comes to you who, who has really done good for you, and they're like, you know, man, I, I have this other opportunity, what are you going to do? You're going to be like, okay, well, what can I do to match that offer? What can I do? You're, you're valuable here. What can I do? And sometimes we will overpay for value because we know they'll make it up. Okay, so it's all about, it's all about value uh, in, in our careers. I told a story a while back. We had a guy coming here. His name was Brent, and he was the... He was a CPA for, for a large um, uh, oil company, and the oil company got bought out, and so the, they were going to come in. They were going to give most of the accountants a severance package. Now, the severance package was $100,000. So at first he was really excited because he was like, man, $100,000, I can get a job next week, you know. Uh, but then he thought about it, and he realized that he was 25% overpaid as a CPA for the normal thing. So if that means he was going to lose about $30,000 a year, and he did the math, he was like, man, in four years I'm underwater. So he's like, man, I need to stay here because I'm overpaid. And so he went and did some research, and he found, out, he found a way to save the company about, it's between 5 and $10 million on their taxes. Now, guess who's still working at that same company? Brent, right? I mean, if you start saving, someone's not worried about paying you $25,000 too much if you're saving them, what, millions, right? So it's a law of value. Proverbs 18, 16, it says this. It says, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. 
And so, see, God has give all, he's given all of us gifts and talents. And as we develop those, what that says is we will stand in places we never thought possible before people we never thought possible simply by developing the gifts that God has given us in our lives. I'll never forget one day, years, years and years ago, <clears throat> my parents went, to, went, went on a six-week tour in Europe, and they were speaking at different churches. And so um, anyway, they ended up going to dinner. They were invited to dinner um, with this prince, this prince. And so they went to this dinner, and, and I asked my dad, how was it with the prince? He said, it was terrible. So I never want to go back there again. He, she, he said, well, why? He said, Mom kept kicking me on the table. Use the other fork. Use the other. Put your napkin in your lap. Don't chew with food in your mouth. He's like, man, I go there. There's plates and forks everywhere. I, I just want to eat, you know. But when, when, when we allow God to use us, it will bring us our gifts and talents that God has given us. If we develop them, if we use them correctly, will bring us before great men. <clears throat> so several suggestions here. Um, first of all, develop a reputation for being a hard worker. You know, when I, when I was in the Army, it's so funny. There, there were some soldiers who looked like soldiers. And they, looked so, they looked so good, but they didn't do anything. I mean, if, if, if the magazine came to take cut pictures of soldiers, they always took a picture of these, these, these guys that didn't do anything. I mean, they were always clean because they didn't do anything, right? Um, but develop the reputation of being a hard worker. Ask yourself, at work, am I considered a hard worker? Would my employees consider me, would the people I work with consider me a hard worker? Does my family consider me a hard worker? Would God say that I'm working hard? Develop a reputation of being a hard worker. Um, you know, Mattress Mac, he was, I saw an interview with Mattress Mac a few years ago, and he said, you know, I'm successful today, but what people didn't see is that when I first started the company, I was working 18 hours a day hardly making anything. See, he, in, he was investing time time, time for years before he reaped, he reaped the, re the rewards. And so uh, that's very, very important. Studies suggest that the average American worker wastes 50% of their time. 50% of their time, if they work at 50% capacity uh, because, um, you know, they, they waste 37% of their time on idle chatter, chatter, chatter with coworkers, they waste 13% of their time coming in late, leaving early, taking extended breaks and lunches, reading it newspapers, surfing the internet, and then during the 50% of their time that they're actually doing something related to their job, they tend to work on low-priority tasks. And so here's the next thing. Develop the repu reputation for getting things done. So if your boss comes to you and gives you something, do you actually take it back to him and have it done? I mean, so, so many times people just drop things and don't do it. And if it's going to be a while, go to him and say, hey, um, you know, whatever your boss's name is. Um, I haven't forgot about that, and here's the progress I made. I'm still working on it. Develop, see, when we develop that, hey, we're going to work hard, and when something is given to us, we're going to get it done, that, that, that leaps you over the majority of people who show, up, who show up to work every day. The third thing is be, be teachable and willing to learn new things. How many bosses, how many times do you go to somebody and say, hey, we need to find a new way of doing this, and, and they say, well, but the old way is working good. Well, no, it's not, or I wouldn't ask you to do it, right? I mean, be, be teachable. You know, here's the truth. The older we get, the less flexible we become. We get, 
Everyone over 50 just said, I'm guilty. Right? But, but think about it. We, we develop routines, but actually we're in a rut. And, and the Holy Spirit is creative. He's creative, and he can give us new ways, new ideas of doing things that can save time, money, and make us more efficient. And the, third, the last thing is this, work on t- important tasks, tasks that are important, tasks that benefit the company. And if you don't know what you do that's the most important, go ask your boss. Have a 10-minute have a meeting with him. Don't take it too much time. What can I do that's the most important for the company? Is there something you need done that's not getting done? Again, so you're hardworking, you get things done, um, you're teachable, you're willing, and you get important things done. Number two, the second thing is sowing and reaping in our relationships. And, and there's probably not many people in this room that don't have relational problems in their life. And some of them we can't help. Some of them, I mean, some people are very hard to get along with. But the majority of relational crises we have in our life are avoidable if we just had a, a more humble spirit. Can I get an amen? You, you say, you're right, Pastor. That other person really needs humility. They need it bad, okay? So sowing and reaping in relationships, Proverbs 17, 7 says this. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for, for adversity. And so think about this. In all of our relationships, we should, we should sow love. We need to sow love in all of our relationships. We need to sow support and encouragement when people we know are going through adversity. I, I, I find it so interesting that sometimes when people are going through adversity, and, and listen, it may be self-inflicted adversity that they've caused on their own, that people aren't there for them. That people light them up on social media. That people talk bad about people. Listen, the most, the most time we need a friend is when we're going through something tough. And it's something else now. Here, here's what we do sometimes. Sometimes when we're going through adversity, we push our own friends away when they're trying to help. So, so, so it goes two ways. But if we show unconditional love in our relationships, and if we stand by people when they're going through difficult times, no matter if they're right or wrong, but we're going to stand with them, that goes a long way. That goes a long way to maintaining healthy relationships. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8, it says this. It, this is a kind of a demonstration on what love is. It says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Look at this, love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. So I, I looked at this passage. I mean, that, that is a difficult passage to read if you're involved in relationships. Because it, I, I just said that we need to love each other. In 1 Corinthians, this verse right here, it, it, said, it gives us 14, 14 strategic things that we have to display to show unconditional love and, and I, I would suggest you're like well Terry I'm only human I am too that's why I'm just reading the text to you okay but the point is every time I've ever had a relational issue I've broken one of these things I mean think about a husband and wife they get mad at each other what does it say love is not easily angered well I wasn't easily angered you don't know who I live with <laughs> whatever we can make we can I've been guilty of that okay 
But again, what, I, what I'm saying is we can learn these things. Would you agree that if we were able to sow these 14 things in our relationships, our problems would diminish? Our problems would diminish. So that's, again, we're not going to be perfect, but again, if, if, if you're sowing 95% of your seed is good and every once in a while you have a little bad break, that it's the 95 that's going to that's gonna outweigh everything, okay? So that's kind of sowing and reaping in our career, sowing and reaping in our relationships. And let me real quickly here uh, talk to you about sowing and reaping in our finances. And I, I have so much to say in this area, I'm not going to get to it, but uh, I'll, I'll get to the highlights. So sowing and reaping in our finances with our, with our money and so... We have an epidemic in our country today, and I know this because I talk to hundreds of thousands of people, of people that are, that are really maxed out, overstressed, doing really bad uh, with, with, with money. And what's, what's interesting about that is we live in one of the richest countries in the world, yet, yet collectively as a nation and individually as families, I don't think we've done a good job of managing the wealth that God has, has, given, has given to us, okay? And um, I mean, the, the stats, I don't want to bore you, but 60% uh, of all divorces come because of money issues. 80% of things that couples argue with is about money. Nearly 80% of working people, everyone who has a job, they don't have anything saved up. If they miss one paycheck, they can't buy food. I mean, it, it's, it's really... For the amount of money that our country has and for what people make, it, it hasn't really been doing that well. Um, on top of that, our country spends money like a drunken sailor. How, come on, my Navy guys, raise your hand. We have some Navy guys here. Uh, I, said, I said drunken sailor because I was in the Army, but uh, Larry's right there. If you don't know what a drunk sailor looks like spending money, he will explain it to you after service, okay? And we'll have a little meeting over here. But, but, but in other words, you know, um, we don't, our country, we don't have a money issue, we have a spending issue. And if you've ever printed off what our government spends money on, it's just, you, you'll just get mad. I mean, we're spending just billions of dollars on things that have nothing to do with helping, helping our country. So here's my point. You know, I felt like about five or six years ago, the Lord just stirred me in my spirit to start telling uh, Christians, start telling the church that w we have to be vigilant in the management of our finances because one day we're not going to be able to count on the government to bail us out. I mean, at, at, the, at the way we're, and I know some of you don't believe this, but the way you're going, at some point, the deficit gets too high. It's at 25 trillion, 22 trillion. At some point it gets so high that you can't even afford to do the necessary things like Social Security, food stamps. I mean, necessary things that people who are less fortunate um, need. So in my mind, I've, of course, I've spent time with, with many financial advisors and we have Financial Peace University. We're helping people out, hundreds of people. Uh, but there, there's, if you go to any financial advisor, they'll tell you there's five, that money is really a game. It's a, money is a game. If you, have, if you spend less than you make, you win over time, right? There's five categories that every financial advisor will tell you you have to know. And that is what you spend. I'm sorry, what you earn, how much you earn, how much you spend, how much you save, what you invest. And how much you give. There, there, there's five things. Now, most financial advisors don't get to the last point, give, because they want you to save everything, right? They don't want you to give anything away. But there's, there's five numbers. So let me give you three principles to help you out. So the first one is this, sowing and reaping. You have to sow discipline 
into your financial management. You have to sow discipline into your financial management. I, I used to do the SPU here at Financial Peace University for many years, then the house took it over, now the Ralph and Benny investment do it. But when people would come, they would always tell me, we don't waste anything, but we don't have anything. And on average, I, I averaged it out, most, the typical family, once they really balanced their budget, they were spending $700 a month every month that they didn't have to spend. They were wasting $700. So 7 times 12 is what, 84? 8400 So that 8400 that's a lot of money. Like in 10 years, how much is that? Come on, 84000 So that's, that's like a lot of money, right? So we have to be disciplined in the management of our money. And I think most people that are struggling with money, they would, they, they would say, you know, we're, we're not. Money comes in and it goes out. We don't know where it goes. We're, you know, we buy things we don't need. How many of you buy things you don't need? Come on, everyone, stick your hand up. Come on, everyone, we all buy. <clears throat> and it's funny, it doesn't bother us if we buy something that we don't need, but if our spouse does, that's an issue. I can't believe you, I can't believe you did that. Proverbs 21, 25, it says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to, pov to poverty. So plans of the diligent, people who plan ahead. Uh, Proverbs 23, 5, it says, Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. They will surely sprout wings and fly off the sky like an eagle. One guy told me, that's my life verse. You know how much money I've made? And it's, it's, I didn't know it was an eagle. It just it all flew off, you know. So number one, so discipline in the management of your money. And really, I think we have to really tighten our belts. And we got to make sure, man, this whole concept of spending more than we make. And getting in the hole and putting stress on ourselves. It's just a terrible situation. Number two, so into saving and investing for the future. That's sometimes people tell me, well, I don't have very much to save, so it's no use. That, that's not true. Proverbs 13, 11, it says this, he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. You know, if you save $100 a month, that's the next month is 200 the next is 300 I mean, it, it, it adds up. And the third thing is this. And this is what I, I believe. So, so generously by giving a portion back to God and others. I had a family one time. They took financial peace. And, of course, Dave Ramsey's big on tithing and all that. And they decided that they were going to quit tithing and get out of debt first. And, you know, I said, okay, that's, you know. And I don't, listen, I don't, that's between them and God. But they said, what do you think, Pastor? I was like, well, I don't think that's a good idea. And he said, why is that? Because I said, well, if I'm in a bad situation, I want God on my side. I'm worried about a credit. I'm, I want God on my side. And they, you know what? They did that for six months, and they couldn't just seem to get ahead. So they chose another approach, and they started tithing. Do you know that within, that within the next six months, they had, they had doubled what they paid off on all their debt? And they're like, he's like, I don't know how, how does that happen that we, we – we're giving 10% to God, back to God, and he's blessing us so much that, that we've, we've doubled our, our debt payoff that we were, that we were you know, in on. But I, I think well, this is the Bible speaks very clearly, and I just want to be, I want to be clear here. If you come to Family Life and never give a penny, no one's going to say anything to you. Uh, but I know this, God wants his kingdom funded, and he uses that through the tithes of his people. Tracy and I tithe, many of you do. And I, I believe that God blesses that. And, you know, you give 10%, but I think what you get back is more. I think he multiplies that. So that, that's my opinion on that. 
um, Proverbs eleven twenty four. it says this, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. And another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. And that, that's crazy. How can one man give and he has even more? How can someone withhold and come to poverty? And the, the principle is this, whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap, and you're going to reap it with God's blessing on your life. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to close 